We continue in our intentional church lessons, uh, specifically these last few weeks in intentional love. Last week about love's forbearance and its kindness. And this morning we want to look at love does not envy and it does not boast. And the title of today's message, The Descent of Love, The Intentional Descent of Love. That love is not envy, or another word would be jealous, and it does not boast. Would you turn with me in your scriptures, just back a few pages, uh, to Romans chapter 12, and we'll spend some time looking at that this morning as we open up. What does it mean for us not to envy and not to boast? I want to tell you just a little story as you're turning there of, you know, a little snippet of my childhood. I had a guy in the neighborhood that was a very good athlete, um, well-known, popular guy, mostly based upon his being a a great athlete, and uh, people used to love to boast about his, um, especially his basketball abilities, and right off the bat, many of you are going right now, well, we know he's not talking about himself, Um, Yeah, I'm not. And um, but people would tell him all the time how great he was, and and you could watch this transformation begin to happen. And pretty soon, it wasn't long after that that you would hear him begin to talk about how he was really good and better than most people. And then you would see his attitude began to change a bit about himself. And uh, you know, slowly and surely, pretty soon. Uh, as he became the athletic star on campus, um, not only was everybody boasting and envying him in terms of what he could do, but he was beginning to toot his own horn a good bit, which um, I personally, you know, found a little distasteful, you know, especially since I could not play basketball as well as he could, and I was not as well-liked as he was, and I hated his envy. You'll get this in just a minute, the irony of me envying someone who envies. The idea of me boasting about how I'm really better than someone who boasts. And then you find out this really is an issue for all of us. I had a friend of mine that once said, I, re- I, re- I realized I was a Pharisee when I began to realize I don't like people who don't like people. And so many of us are kind of caught in this trap of, I, I don't want to boast, I don't want to envy, I don't want to be seen as an arrogant person, but I hate arrogant people, and I'm arrogant towards arrogant people. And so... What's at stake with this envy and this boasting? What is so important after all? What's, what's wrong? With, what's the harm with a little desire of tooting my own horn a little bit or, or, or really liking um, the car that, that some of you drive when I see you come in the parking lot and I go, gosh, that'd be nice to have that car. Um, and it doesn't happen with me in cars so much as it does with me and those of you who have boats. Yeah. There's a couple of you in here that I kind of begin to get really green about when I see what's behind your trailer uh, or floating on the water. And um, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with me 
wanting a few things. And there's probably not a whole lot of damage in that if it could just remain on the surface level. If I could, you know, just have a passing thought of, gee, I'd really like to have that boat. But it never remains there, does it? It never really stays on the surface level. It always goes down. And once it goes down and it goes deeper and deeper down, significant damage is done to not only our relationships that we have with one another, but also our own psyche, our own self-image. We begin to think, I'm not good enough for those things. And then ultimately it begins to begin to damage our relationship with God and begins to alienate ourselves from Him. Whether we find ourselves focused on something that someone has or beginning to boast of what we have, the bottom line on it is that both are idolatry. Both of them are uh, a spiritual uh, blindness that we must see that intentional love is the only cure for self-idolatry. In these verses we're about to go into, we'll see that God's grace towards us descends towards us so that we may not think too highly of ourselves, but receive His intentional love. Paul, for the first four or five chapters leading up, I'm sorry, for the four chapters leading up to chapter 12, has been talking about this amazing grace of God, this, this tremendous love of God that has come down in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and came into a world that was devastated by envy, devastated by boasting. Think of the culture in which Paul was in. He was in a culture that was politically uh, very boastful in the Roman Empire. You remember... You've studied your history of how the Romans felt that they were the most significant empire of all the earth. That nobody could be as high as a Roman person could be. And that the whole world should envy being a Roman or a a Roman citizen. But he also, on the religious side of things, was in a culture that thought that it was the elite culture of religious people. That the Jewish people were the people that were the only people that God would ever love. And no other people could be loved like the Jewish people were loved. We only have to hearken back to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament to realize the attitude of the majority of the Jewish people that places like Nineveh weren't worth saving. And yet we see this tremendous grace of God that comes and says... Should I neglect such an important city? So whether it was important to Jonah or not, it was certainly important to God that there were people in this city that needed to hear and be loved by Him. And so we sit in the church this morning. We sit as people that may be on both extremes. We may be intelligent people that feel that We need something to stimulate our intellect. And if it doesn't stimulate our intellect, then it's not worthy of our ears. Then nobody could be smarter than us that live here. Then nobody could be as wise as us or as important as us. And nobody's really worth us going out of the walls to really reach with this love. Or it could be the opposite of that. It could be the opposite of boasting and boasting in our poverty that says, 
I'm not smart enough to really go out and see people out there. I don't really have what it takes to go out there. After all, I'm just a nothing. You see, on both sides of that equation, boasting is happening. There's the boasting of I'm too good and the boasting of I'm not good enough. I was raised in a a family that had wealth on one side and poverty on the other. And in that family, I realized the pride of both riches and the pride of poverty. And both were as equally damaging. You see, Paul tells us in the earlier chapters that God came to show us none of us have anything to boast in. That at the foot of the cross, every piece of ground is level. And that if you cannot grasp that, if you cannot find that conclusion, then maybe there's some boasting and some envy in your heart that is yet to be dealt with. So Paul comes and says, when you see the descending love of God, I want to appeal to you, brethren and sisters. I want to tell you that love does not envy. and Love does not boast. I want to give you the world's view. You can write this down if you'd like. The world to you is this. I am the center of the universe and I must have all things serve me for my purposes. I am the center of the universe and I must have all things serve me for my purposes. And that's exactly what the world teaches us. It's exactly what the world system teaches us. See it on the back of cars all the time. The one with the most toys at the end wins. We see it in our calendar all the time. I'm working 60 hours a week to be at the top of the heap. I'm running as fast as I can to be the winner of the rat race. And you know what the winner of the rat race is, right? Just a rat. See if you're awake. Our lives are caught up with this idea that we've got to go level upon level upon level upon level upon level upon level. For whom? What are you driven by? Who are you driven by? Because the world's way, the world's view is that you, if you are driven by yourself, then you must manipulate the world. You must rule over your world and you must control your world. So that everything in your world will work for your purpose. And the Bible ultimately teaches us that that's death and that's dying. Think about it. What is the destiny of your flesh? I know of no one yet who has gotten out of this thing alive in terms of their flesh. And if your world is about your flesh, then your world is about your dying. 
Now let me give you Christ's view. Christ's view is this, that God the Father is the center of the universe. You should write this one down too. That God the Father is the center of the universe. And He has caused all things to come together for my good. As I serve Him. God the Father is the center of the universe. And He has caused and is causing all things for my good. As I serve Him. Now hear the difference. There's God eternal and my flesh dying. I can serve my flesh and die, or I can serve the one who is life and live. You see, if my striving, if my desire is to serve God and to love Him and have my life be a love offering to Him, then I have life. And so many people I know are caught and don't understand why can I not feel alive? Why can't I feel like I'm living? It doesn't matter how much, I have, how much money I have. It doesn't matter how much I get education. It doesn't matter how much I insulate myself with nice things. It doesn't matter how much I drink. It doesn't matter how much I sit in front of the computer. It doesn't matter how much I sit by myself and read. I can't get filled. I can't get enough. I cannot get satisfied. Because you're drinking from a well that has no water. You're drinking dust and wondering, why am I thirsty? You're living for flesh and wondering, why am I dying? When God offers you something totally different. When God offers you a love that will never go away from you. A place of a peace that will never pass from you. And a life of eternity with Him in glory. Sharing in all of the riches that are His that never pass away. You see, this is the way that love descended from heaven to offer this to you. To say you must, you cannot, you should not, you don't have to live in death. You can have life. And life abundant. And I will seal the deal with the death of my son so that you may live. And there can be a transaction of faith that you will believe more in my descending love towards you than your own love for yourself that will kill you. So we see this Love that has come down, this nature of God's love. His love that has destroyed the need for self-absorption and to have to live in a self-absorbed world. Secondly, I want you to see the descending nature of His grace. His grace brings an end to all human boasting and envy. His grace brings an end to all human boasting and envy. Have you ever seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it? Me either. It's the destiny of all of us. I read a story once about um, one of the pharaohs. They discovered his grave and 
his body was actually in there. And, and they have pictures of the splendor of what his kingdom was like and the glory of his golden crown. And the, the, they've described the beauty of his robes and the, the silk that it was woven with and, and how he ruled over the world with great power. And as they opened up his um, mummified cast, you know what they found? Dust. Just dust. It's the same destiny for the pauper as it is for the king. Have you ever noticed a casino at the cemetery? There's a reason. Nobody's got any money to hit the slots with. Because they had to leave it all behind to someone else. It's the condition of all of us, whether you're rich or poor, smart, or struggling with learning disabilities, whether you're wearing the finest suit or whether you've got clothes from hand-me-downs like I do. It's the destiny for all of us and the only hope is the grace of God that reaches each of us, not based on who we are or what we are, but because He has loved us. It's only grace. You see, well, Pastor, you don't, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It's grace. And you can tell you, and you say, Pastor, I want to tell you the ten things I did to make me better. And I want to tell you it didn't make you any better. I'm going to tell you the truth. That if you're His, He loves you now as much as He will ever love you. And He will never love you less than what He loves you right now. You will not and cannot make yourself better. And you can't make yourself worse if you're His. Because His life is your life. Because His blood becomes your blood. And His riches become your riches based solely upon the kindness and the goodness of His love. We look at Jesus and we see Jesus. He didn't envy Herod. He didn't envy the power of Pilate. He didn't envy all the things that Satan offered him in this world. He didn't boast in who he was. He didn't go around telling people how they should bow to Him. But He served. And He loved. And He descended with that love with a wash basin and a towel to wash the feet of the likes of you and me. That is the God of the universe who descends humbly to love you. 
quickly, let's look at the response here, the descending nature of our response. In Romans 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, from this mercy, in light of this great way that God has loved you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. How do we do this? We intentionally present ourselves to God. I'm going to ask you to do that in your heart today. I'm going to ask that you spend some time, some place today, maybe now, maybe right after the service, maybe later tonight, but intentionally present yourself to God and say, God, I want to receive your love. I want to, I want to be before you and present myself and say, God, I've been wounded. God, I've been hurt. God, I'm hurting. God, I have messed it all up. But I want to sacrifice all that and present myself to you that you might love me with your intentional love. And I want you to receive that by faith. And maybe you're a believer and maybe you've never heard this idea before that God could love you in such a way. I want you to intentionally know that you're the apple of his eye. So much so that he sent his son to die for you. Intentionally go before him and present yourself and say, God, I'm here. I want and I need your love and I will receive it on faith. What's our second response here? Look at verse 3 with me. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought. But think with sober judgment, each of you according to the measure that faith has assigned you, that God has assigned you. And then Paul goes into a litany of those things. You see what he's saying? You've presented yourself to him now with humility. Say, God, I will serve you as this living sacrifice. He says, some of you are teachers. Some of you have been gifted as leaders. Some of you have been gifted as um, people of faith. Some of you with service. Others who teach. Others who exhort. And others who contribute with money and, and generosity. And those of you who lead with a zeal to lead. And those of you do acts of mercy and cheerfulness. In other words, whatever God has laid on your heart, whatever God has gifted in your heart, use it. Use it for Him. Say, God... You've given me these gifts. I understand I have them by grace and grace alone. I'll no longer work for myself, but I will work for you. I'll work for your kingdom. I won't seek to insulate myself with the comforts of the world. I will follow Christ. And I will deny myself and take my cross up and follow you. I will reject the riches of the world so that I might have the riches of heaven. I'll reject peace and comfort in this world so that I will have eternal peace and comfort in the world that you are bringing. I'll reject my right to hate other people with envy and boasting. And I will intentionally love them for who they are, no matter what they are, because they are yours. I want to tell you, the highest form of hate is indifference. The highest form of hate is indifference. So how can that be? Because what you say when you're indifferent to anyone is, I don't care enough to even not like you. 
How indifferent are we to those outside these walls living in that world of darkness out there who have no clue of what it means to be loved? And we, the people who have been loved so greatly, the people who have been loved so bountifully, are indifferent to those who have no clue of the truth. And what's even worse than that, that within these walls, oftentimes, we're indifferent to one another. The one place where we should have a fervent, red-hot love for one another, we're indifferent towards one another. Oh, that's their problem. And we end up envying one another. I wish I could have their position. I wish I could have their money. I wish I could have their boat. I wish I could have their position in the church. I wish everybody liked me like they liked them. I, 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 I wish, I want, I need. Instead of they, they're in want, they're in need, I can serve. I can descend into love into their lives the same way Jesus descended into love into my life. So after an intentional presentation and intentional humility, we realize we must have intentional service. How do we do that? Greatest service is this, that we would love one another. Do you want reconciliation in your homes? Begin to love one another. Begin to serve one another. Husbands, love your wife and serve her. Wives, love your husband and serve them. Love them more than you love yourself. Serve them more than you would serve yourself. And see the transformation that begins to happen in the relationship that you have with one another. Some of you will find out that you will fall in love with one another all over again. Parents, instead of trying to fix your children all the time, just love them. Serve them. One of my sons is here this morning. He'll tell you one of my favorite sayings was this. I'm going to love you enough not to let you like me for a little while. It's okay, parents, sometimes to love your children with no. Sometimes that's the highest form of love is to tell them no. They may not understand it. They may not get it. They may never get it. And that's okay. You still love them enough to tell them no. Love them enough to tell them it's enough. Serve them in a way that gives them boundaries in their life to say, your life's not all about yourself. Your life that you've been given is a grace, it's a gift. Serve it. Use it to serve the Lord. You know what you'll teach them? You'll teach them not to boast. And you'll teach them to be content in who they are. And not envy. Because they will know they have the riches of heaven. That belong to them. You want to see reconciliation in the church? Reconciliation among the races? 
reconciliation among friends, reconciliation among the church and the outside world. Love more, serve more, use your gifts more. Not for you, but for them. In the name of the Lord. What's wrong with a little boasting and a little envy? It will take you down the road of death. What's right about service and love towards others? It will send you on the road of life. Because God came to love and serve you. We too will love and serve others. That guy I told you about earlier, he left. Came back later in life. We met later in our late 20s again. And as adults, you know, adults give you, when you get an adult, you kind of get a freedom to talk a little bit better. And I asked him, I said, man, why are you, why are you so mean to me? You know what he said? He said, because I was jealous. Jealous of me? I was very average. How could you be jealous of me? He said, I noticed the way you and your dad loved one another. And I hated it. Maybe that means I should say amen. He said, I didn't have that. And I always envied that. So I always felt like I had to make myself better when I was around your family. Oh, if I'd only loved him better. Maybe I should have served more. I don't know. But I do know this. You have a lot of things that people need. Even if you think you have nothing. They need you. Let's pray. Christ, we are intentional about many things in life. Rarely are we so intentional about what does it mean to be loved by you and then to love. Help us, God, to repent. Help us, Lord, to change. We pray this in your name. Amen.